word of God go forth as Father, we do come. And I pray that this morning, that as we open your word once again, Lord, there, there is hope in this, this vision of Daniel that is certain and sure. We pray for the people you valdi, the families that are grieving this morning because of the loss of a child, the loss of a loved one, two teachers that were killed this week in a senseless, senseless act. I'm very grateful that Romans chapter 8 tells us that in our groanings, we don't know how to pray or exactly what to say, that you take our groanings and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We pray for the families that have lost loved ones, children, those who have lost those teachers, a community that is grieving very deeply. I pray for the teachers here because I know it hits home for those that are in the schools and the helpers. I pray that, Lord, that you give them a peace. And, Lord, as we see the things around us that the world at a boiling point, we see the signs, the intensity and frequency that you spoke of that points to your soon return. Lawlessness will abound. The love of many will go cold. We pray for a spiritual awakening in our nation because we know that is the hope of our nation. Very grateful for those who have served, who served our nation in an honorable way, protecting our freedoms. We never want to take that for granted. And I do pray that we would turn back to you as a nation. We need your help. There, there would be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you would forgive us of our sins. And Lord, we just pray for your hand to work in a mighty way in these last days. That our hearts would be stirred here this morning as we read about the Ancient of Days, that his kingdom will be established. Help us be attentive. Stir our hearts, open our ears spiritually, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So if you were with us last week as we open up Daniel chapter 7, this sec- second section of Daniel that takes us to the end of the book tells us of the visions that Daniel would receive, the prophecies that are given to Daniel by the Lord. As we open up chapter 7, Daniel has a dream, a vision from God in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. That would be several years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar. That We saw that Nebuchadnezzar was the one, that, that strong ruler that took Daniel away captive. And the Babylonian empire after his death would begin to experience upheaval and decline to where it would be captured or taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And we saw that in chapter 5. Well, in chapter 7 here, we see that Daniel sees four great beasts in this chapter that we read about and coming out of the sea and how that speaks of Gentile nations and 
Some scholars have seen this, as we discussed last week, as the four empires that correlate with the four empires of Daniel chapter 2. You remember that in that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and in the dream, an image of a man made of different metals. You're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, but you're going to be replaced by the chest and arms of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire. And Daniel would see that be fulfilled in his day. And then that empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, as a matter of fact, next week, we're going to see some amazing prophecies concerning the Medo-Persian Empire and then the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great, that would replace that, that powerful Medo-Persian Empire, and, and that would come to pass, and then the Roman Empire that would replace the Grecian Empire. But there's yet future implication, because the feet that had ten toes were iron mingled with clay, this, this new Rome, Roman Empire, this new revived Roman Empire that will be on the scene, the ten toes, we are told, specifically in Daniel chapter 2, that they are kings that will be uh, in power at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they do correlate with the fourth beast that we see here in this chapter because these four beasts that come out of the sea, it seems to represent those Gentile nations coming on the scene. The fourth beast, uh, these beasts are different. They're not sea creatures, but he describes a lion, a bear, a leopard. But the fourth beast, he doesn't say what kind of beast it is. He said it is terrible, it's dreadful. And it had ten horns that correlate with the ten toes because in the interpretation of this dream that we will see later, that he will say that they are ten kings. And out of the, the ten horns is this little horn. It's the title of Antichrist. He's going to be a world leader. He comes on the scene, and what we have seen so far told to us is that he speaks pompous words, or it might be in, in your translation, it renders great things. It, it's pompous words. It is great things. According to the world, it's great things, but it's blasphemies towards the living God. So we're going to see that focus, that Daniel has on the fourth beast uh, that will be told to us in this little horn, a title of the Antichrist, a world leader that will be on the scene that will begin Daniel's 70th week. We're told that very specifically in Daniel chapter 9, that the 70th week of Daniel, what we call the tribulation period, begins with this leader coming on the scene. He will make a, a treaty with Israel, confirm a treaty, uh, a covenant for seven years. And then also Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, he's the writer, the first seal that has opened up beginning the tribulation period. But as I would refer you to last week's study, are they the four kingdoms that we saw in chapter 2, or are they contemporaries that are before the beast, as we discussed last week, the end-time empires that will be on the scene? So uh, listen to that study if you weren't able to do that. And as we see here that uh, these, this beast coming up, but part of the vision that we're going to look at today is... Uh, going to not be concerning man's kingdom that is emphasized, but God's kingdom that will be established and not pass away. And we need to be reminded that as we look at these prophecies over the next several weeks, 
Daniel, at the end of the chapter, he's troubled, very much troubled by the prophecy. In chapter 8, as he sees, there's going to be a, a near fulfillment that's spoken of that the Syrian king that we will talk about, Antiochus Epiphanes, that he comes on the scene, he will be a picture of, he's going to be a shadow of the Antichrist. And Antiochus Epiphanes, historically, uh, about 200 years before Jesus was born, that he would come into Jerusalem and he would desecrate the temple. And historians tell us that he killed about 100,000 Jews. He was evil. He was terrible. That's a picture of the Antichrist that we know that he is going to uh, desecrate the temple and the abomination of desolation, Daniel chapter 9, that Jesus warned about. And he's going to proclaim himself as God. And he is going to execute and he's going to martyr anyone who does not align themselves with him and take the mark of the beast. Again, these are future studies. And as we go over all of this, what is going to take place? Remember, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar in this foundation of Bible prophecy, chapter 2, that the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure, that this is all going to be fulfilled. We know that this is going to take place. And we look at it and we can be troubled. We see the things that are going on around us and we can be troubled. This week, I was, as I mentioned, down at a pastor's conference when we heard the news of uh, what happened in Uvalde and and it, it just, as Daniel was sickened when he saw these prophecies, he fainted. The same thing. I just felt sick to my stomach. As, as I think, how can this be? As we see in the news every day, the, the violence, the shootings, all these things that take place. And as we read these prophecies, we know where things are headed. We do know that in the, in the future, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, that things are not going to get better and more glorious for man. I pray for a revival before the rapture of the church. I pray for an outpouring of God's spirit on this nation, on our community, in the world. But Jesus said that it will be great tribulation that's going to come that there will be tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And if those days were not shortened, then man would have destroyed himself. And I've got to tell you this. It is not the church that's going to grow in great power and super apostles and prophets come on the scene and we're going to heal everyone and we're going to overtake all the governments and all the civil authority and all the aspects of culture and then we're going to grow so strong that we're going to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ in this new apostolic reformation that is very popular, that theology among some Christians. And by the way, it's not new. It's just repackaged kingdom now theology or manifested sons of God theology that's been around. Again, I pray for revival. I pray God wants to save our nation. I pray for that, for an outpouring of his spirit. But the church is not going to usher in the coming of Christ. The church is going to be taken away to be with Christ. Paul would write in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He would say that in the last days it will be perilous times. And some of you, you heard me teach on this before, but the, Paul borrows that word perilous from Matthew chapter 8 in the description of the demoniacs there at Gadara. Jesus and his disciples, they come up to the shore on the east side of 
the Sea of Galilee, and two demoniacs come running down the hill, and it's described that they were exceedingly fierce. That word fierce, same word as perilous. And I believe what we saw this week was demonic. And we're going to see more of it. We know that it is Paul that goes on to say that there's going to be men that are going to be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. You know, they're going to be fierce, this misdirected love. They're going to live for the world. They're going to be those who have a form of godliness but denying its power. That is, that they are going to be on the scene, always learning but never coming to the truth. Stay away from such of those. Those of corrupt minds and counterfeits that will be on the scene that are going to come into your household. What we are seeing with social media, what it's doing to, to all of us really, but especially to our young people. The things that, are, that come into our homes on the computers and all the information and all the, the things that we can watch and YouTubes and all of this. And people will spend hours on it. And there are Christians that are angry because they listen to it time after time. Listen, I know that we are to be informed, but be wise and be discerning. And read your Bible. Every single week, people send me, you got to listen to this YouTube, you got to listen to this, you got to listen to this guy, you got to listen to this. It's like, no. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. And that's what we need to continue to do, as Paul would say, that Timothy, you know my manner of life, my doctrine, you know my persecutions. And those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How bad is it going to get for you and for me as we get closer to the return of the Lord? It could get worse. Persecution may get worse for us. It's increasing in different parts of the world. But what is the, the answer that Paul gives? These are the last words of Paul the Apostle before he's executed. He's very, very in, you know, intimate in, in giving these words to, to Timothy, his young protege. He's passing the baton on to Timothy. Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures. There's a lot of talk about how do we reach our culture? How do we reach you know, the people around us? We must give them the gospel because there's power in the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. There's power in the word of God. Amen. And that's what we must continue and we will continue to move forward in and growing in his love, in his word, in his grace. And to give the gospel to others because that is the hope for any person, any community, any nation, for the world. That is the hope. Give them the word of God. Even as Isaiah spoke about it in difficult days, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's what we are to continue to do. So the last days are going to be perilous, but we do know it's all headed to a glorious time for us as unbelievers. So let's read about that here in verses 9 and 10 of Daniel chapter 7. As here Daniel continues with the vision. And I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated, and his garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were open. So Daniel says, I've watched. And what an incredible moment for him, till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. And uh, the Ancient of Days speaks of the eternal God. 
His garments white as snow, hair like pure wool. It speaks of God's attributes of holiness and righteousness and purity. And when you read about the description of, of Jesus the, in his glorified state in Revelation chapter 1, his hair was white like wool. And here in verse 9, his throne, we read, is like a fiery flame. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, that description that John gives to us as he's on the island of Patmos, that Jesus has eyes of flames. Now, the debate here is the ancient of days, is it God the Father or God the Son? And I believe it's God the Father, because in verse 13, when we get to it next week, there's a clear distinction between the one like the Son of Man who comes to the ancient of days, the one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to establish his kingdom. That speaks of Jesus. The fiery flame here that we read about that is described here, I believe speaking of judgment after the vision of the throne of God in Revelations chapter 4 and 5, that heavenly scene, that then we go into chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation, and it speaks of God's judgment on Christ's rejected world. Now Daniel hears that there were thrones in place in that heavenly vision that John had of Revelation chapter 4. He describes the things around the throne of God. And he says that there were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white clothes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And of course, as some of you know, that as you continue to read in the chapter, that the 24 elders, they end up casting their crowns at the throne of God. And they begin to say that you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I like the way the King James renders it as we read in the King James and they for thy pleasure that they were created and are created never forget this that you were created for his good pleasure you were created for his purposes he has something for you to do that he desires for you to be used of him to live for him, not to live for yourself or for the world. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we are his workmanship, creating in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared before him that we should walk in them. And great is the day when we say, Lord, I was created for your good pleasures. I'm your workmanship. Poem in the Greek, it literally means a poem. It's a, it's a work. It, it, it speaks of, you know, uh, an art, it just uh, like an artist, a poem, a, a thing of, uh, that you create. He, he's doing that work in you. You are his poem in Christ Jesus for good works. That he prepared beforehand. He has something for you to do. Don't live for yourself. Don't live for the world or prioritize the world. Listen, we all got cares of life. We've got children we raise. We've got jobs. We've got bills to pay. We, we love doing things. Some of you are going to be getting away this summer as you go up and camping and go on vacation, a time to rest and relax. Make sure you take the Lord with you when you go, okay? But in every area of life, realize this, that you were created for his good pleasures. Prioritize him. This is the truth that we're going to teach the kids starting a week from tomorrow at the Children's Festival. So the 24 elders that cast their crowns before the throne, I believe that the crowns that we receive will be doing the same thing. 
Now, who are the 24 elders? Just a little side note. Well, we can't be dogmatic about it, but with Daniel here, with the vision of the thrones, he doesn't mention the 24 elders or doesn't elaborate. So some suspect and that maybe perhaps it speaks of the church. We don't know for sure. But here in verse 9, it speaks of the throne, its wheels of burning fire. You see the same imagery mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 1, his vision of the throne chariot. And then verse 10, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand, that's a hundred million, stood before him. As the fire is mentioned coming forth from him, to me it points to judgment. Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter of the book, tells us that when the Lord comes, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh. So all of man in human authority will be cast down and the Ancient of Days is going to rule and reign. He will judge the nations. These beasts that are mentioned here. Psalm chapter 2, Jesus, the son of man that comes and establishes his kingdom. That we know that he will judge the nations. We know that in that messianic psalm, Psalm 2, that the nations rage. They uh, plot a vain thing. But he will come and he will rule with a rod of iron. And when he comes, then righteousness will cover the, the earth as waters cover the sea. There can be a lot of confusion about the coming of this kingdom, God's kingdom, and we don't have to as we study Daniel and other prophetic scriptures pertaining to his coming and the establishment of his kingdom. There was somebody that called on the radio a couple of weeks ago, and they said, where is it in, in the Bible, the millennium reign? Because there's a growing trend that amillennialist, that means no millennium, that there's going to be no millennium reign. There are others on the other side of the spectrum that have said, and they've talked to me at the front door, they said, well, I believe that we're in the millennium reign. It's like, really? If we're in the millennium reign, I'm awfully disappointed. <laughs> this is the millennium reign, are you, you know, it's not. Because his glory will fill the earth in the millennium reign. He will rule with the rod of iron. We see that there are hundreds of verses throughout the scripture pertaining to the reign of Christ, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, when you read that term, that it's a period of time. It speaks of the tribulation period, seven years, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then the millennium reign. That's all the day of the Lord. It's the most documented period of time that we have in the scriptures. It is judgment as followed by blessing. And as we read all about it, it's told to us that judgment's going to come before he establishes his kingdom. Matthew chapter 25 tells us that there will be the judgment of the nations, the separating of the sheep and the goats. We know that there will be the great white throne judgment of the unbelievers after the millennium reign when the unrighteous dead are brought before him. And they will be judged to the lake of fire for all eternity. It is very sobering, but it is real. And don't think that anyone's getting away with anything. Because he's the perfect judge. You and I, we will not stand at the great white throne judgment seat of Revelation chapter 20, but we will stand, as most of you know, because we've gone over this before, at the Bema reward seat of Christ and be judged. We're not judged for damnation. It's a judgment of rewards. Salvation is not a reward. It is a gift. There are unfortunately many people that we know, they think, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to be rewarded with heaven or salvation. 
or I'm a good enough person to make it to heaven. We know that salvation is something we can never earn or deserve or be rewarded with because I'm such a wonderful guy. After I was telling um, at, at the baptism, because there's always those that want to call up and say, you have to be baptized to be saved. Baptism is a declaration that I am saved. And we know that baptism is very important. We're commanded to be baptized. But to say that you have to be baptized or worship on a certain day or, you know, I had somebody that, that wanted to argue that you have to keep the Passover, you know, something like that. This is what you have to do that is an offense to the cross. That you're saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient, that you have to finish it. Jesus said it is finished. He did the work. And we come in faith. We're to walk in obedience. We are, as believers, we, we are to be baptized, but it's not for salvation. It's a declaration that I am saved. It's only by faith. It is faith alone and Christ alone. And that's why I want to go through the book of Galatians, because I want you to be established in that truth. We have been saved by grace, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, right before uh, verse 10 and verse 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. But with that said, we will be rewarded for what we have done for Christ in this life. And what we do with our lives is going to be tested by fire. And Jesus, with those eyes of flame, are going to look at you and me when we will stand before him, and that day will come. And the things that are unlike him are going to burn up like wood, hay, and stumble. And the things that we did for Christ, because of our love for him, to further the kingdom of God, that was pleasing to him, will shine forth like precious metals. So there is that judgment, in a sense, for the believers. Some of the last words of Jesus that we have in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, and behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And by the way, we are told that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. So from his throne, it was a fiery flame, and a thousand thousands ministered to him, probably talking about angels, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Now, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the heavenly scene, that John, is he sees the throne of God, around the throne of God. He also writes in chapter 5 that I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. But also in this vision is, I believe, the church standing before the throne, singing that new song. Singing that song, you, have, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's the new song, and that is us, the church. Isn't that glorious? Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, you have redeemed us by your blood. That's the church, I believe, that's standing there. So if I was you, I'd get to know the words of those songs, so when we're all standing there, you can kind of just jump into this song and... And because you read it. You read it in Revelation chapter 5. We shall reign on the earth when he establishes his kingdom. That is so glorious. We're going to be given responsibilities. 
And again, we see that as Jesus spoke of that in the parable of the Mina, as he's leaving Jericho and he's going up the ascent to Jerusalem right before his triumphal entry. And then in the Olivet Discourse, right before he goes to the cross, the parable of the talents. And in those two parables, the servant who invested what was given to him by the master when he gave an account would hear the words as he invested the things of the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be over ten cities. You'll be over five cities. You'll be over two cities. What exactly we'll be doing, I don't know. But we're going to rule and reign with him. Heaven is not going to be boring. It's going to be incredible. You know, we're going to be given responsibilities. It's not going to be the Hollywood version of sitting on a cloud with wings and playing a harp and being all bored. When we read here in verse 10 that the court was seated and the books were opened. Two things to get this morning. Please remember this. That the Lord, he will establish his kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him, number one. Second of all, please remember this, that God is a great bookkeeper. He's a good record keeper. Concerning his word, Heaven and earth will pass away, but every dot and tittle of my word will be fulfilled. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And we know that as we have here being reminded that God is the perfect bookkeeper, record keeper, that the Bible says that there is a book of life. There are eight references in the New Testament to the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. Seven of those references appear in the book of Revelation. Those names that are written in the book of life are those who have eternal life and belong to the Ancient of Days. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, the 70 were sent out. They come back. They're all excited. They said, you know, we worked miracles, and, and we, we worked with great power that flowed through us, and, and the demons were subject to us. And Jesus would turn to those 70 and said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now contrast that with Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, and we read that the book's were open, which is the book of life, and anyone not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. He's a great bookkeeper. And I pray that all of us, that our names are written in the book of life. We are told in, Revel in Psalm, that is 56, verse 8, speaking of God being a, a great bookkeeper, re record keeper, that David would write this, that you number my wonderings and you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And that's what brings comfort to me this week. And I hope it brings comfort to you. Because it tells me that your tears that you shed in the past and presently, that they are important to God. Enough to where he puts them in a bottle. And in the times where you shed those tears because of sorrow and grief, because of loss, and you wonder, Lord, do you see? Do you even care? I'm weeping, shedding tears because of difficult times and situations. 
And David was writing that psalm when he was going through those hard times and really going through it. And he begins to express a deep trust in God. And he remembers my sorrow and tears and will not forget about me. And he puts my tears in a bottle and they're recorded in a book. Isaiah writes that our Lord is a, he's one of a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. It was the Lord that said to Moses, I've seen the oppression of my people and have heard their cries because I know their sorrow. The Egyptian taskmasters and the whips on the back. And the world is a terrible taskmaster. That's why you don't want to serve the world. You want to serve the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you weep and you have sorrows and you have tears and the Lord remembers and he keeps your tears in a bottle and he writes it in a book. He's a great bookkeeper because Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 tells us there's a book of remembrance. A book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name. He knows that you're here in this place as you meditate on his name, as you desire to grow in his word and in his love as you're here encouraging a brother and a sister, that you're praying with others as you're talking to them about the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 16 of Malachi tells us that God listens and he hears and he records. He records for those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name. As you pray, as you give, as you show the love of Jesus Christ. He's a great bookkeeper. He's a great record keeper. But there is one thing that I'm very glad and rejoice in that he doesn't keep a record of, and that is my sin. That my sin has been blotted out because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Peter would say to the multitude in Acts chapter 3, that therefore be converted that your sins... He said, repent, that your sins may be plotted out so that times of refreshings may come from the presence of the Lord. Isaiah 44, return to me, for I have redeemed you. I have blotted out your transgression. That's good news. And even as Paul would write in Colossians chapter 2, that he's wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us. My sins have been blotted out because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Forgiven, saved, belonging to a kingdom that will last forever. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these two verses that are given to us and to remind us that there is coming a glorious time of the establishment of your kingdom, and we get to be a part of it. We get to rule and reign. Oh, Lord, I'm so grateful. And I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here that you have not repented and turned to Jesus Christ, it means... Change direction. Quit going in the direction you're going. He came and died for you, for your sins. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you and rising from the grave. And then he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. You come in faith. And as you believe with your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will you call out to him? Listen, a church can't save you. You can't save yourself. Jesus is the one 
the Son of God who died for you and conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And he's going to come back. And he loves you. And he's your salvation. Will you come to him and call out to him if you've never done that? Come in faith. Trusting in him. Repent. Turn direction. Quit going the way that you're going. Living after the world. Trusting in the world. And turn to Jesus. You can do that right now. A new beginning today. And you can say sincerely in your heart that Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. You're alive speaking to me. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you are the Son of God who died for me and loves me. And I want to walk with you, know you. Thank you for this new beginning that I have. Lord, I thank you for forgiving me and giving me eternal life. And for all of us, Lord, as we go out of this place, that we are here for such a time as this, not to live for ourselves. You did not save us so we can just live after the world or prioritize the world. Lord, help us to keep you the priority. For we are created for your good pleasures, to be light and salt to a world that is desperately needing to hear the good news to see the reality of Jesus being worked out in us, to see salt and light of God before us. So I thank you that we're reminded of that and the glorious future that we have with you. Bless everyone here our weekend as we go our way. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Have a blessed weekend. Remember next week, 8.30, 10.30 for the service. Hope you can come to that. We're really looking forward to it. It's going to be very special. Travis is going to close us. If you need prayer, we have a prayer team up here. Sarah is going to be up front to pray with any of you ladies that need prayer. Pastor John is here to pray with you. We want to make that available for you. Or if anybody made a decision for the Lord, please let us know. God bless you. Travis is going to close us. Once more, I lay me down. Have a wonderful Sunday. Hope to see you again soon.